So for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of godliness. Uh, this is a series that I've considered doing uh, two summers in a row, and now this is the third summer. I thought, you know what? <clears throat> it's time for me to just do it. Um, and what, uh, what inspired me to do this is I want to take on some of the cultural assumptions that come along with being an American. Um, the, the things that, like, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of godliness, these are all good things, uh, pursuit of happiness. Uh, by the way, when Jefferson borrowed that, he borrowed that term, the pursuit of happiness, from John Locke. John Locke very much understood that the highest form of happiness was found in relationship with God, was found in living in a godly way. Um, but I kind of want to take on some of the cultural assumptions that come along with being an American. Uh, these, these, these phrases have sort of taken different meanings to different people over the years. Um, <clears throat> and what I'd like to do over the next three weeks is we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about each of these things. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say what, this morning, what life really is. What is, what is life as God intended it? Um, <clears throat> what is true liberty, true freedom? We're going to look at that next week. And then the, the following week we'll look at what is it to pursue uh, the highest form of happiness, which is uh, godliness found in relationship with Jesus, with, found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, so John Lennox is a he's a Christian um, uh, theologian debater. He's debated men like uh, uh, Richard Dawkins and different things like this. He's a he's an apologist, a defender of the faith, and he says Christianity isn't taking a leap of faith into the, into the dark. It's taking a step of faith into the light. So Christianity isn't this big jump into the unknown, but instead it's, it's, a, it's taking a step into truth and light. John opens up his gospel. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 3 this morning, a, a very uh, familiar conversation we're going to go through between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. But as John opens up his gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's talking about Jesus here. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. And so he uses these two terms here. He says life and light. And he sees these, very much people would have understood these words as almost synonymous. They, they went together. They, they work together, life and light. That you couldn't experience life as God intended it unless you had enough light, enough truth to understand how to live. And so this is important to understand that this is, this is a major theme of John's gospel. He's showing that Jesus has come to reveal the truth, to shine the light, that people could see what the truth is. And then through revealing the truth, he could allow them to experience life through having relationship with him. Through trusting him. So now the context of John chapter 3, uh, we have a man named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jewish people. Uh, the verses tell us that. He was likely, a, he very well could have been a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling body of the day. He's a very influential man. And there are some ways that he's like us. Um, there are a lot of ways that Nicodemus is like you and I. Uh, you, you could probably identify with Nicodemus if you, you believe that there's a creator. You believe that this world isn't just a random mishmash that sort of happened, but you believe that there's a, a designer, a creator. If you believe that, you have some, some similarities with Nicodemus. Um, he, he definitely believed also in the God of the Bible. Um, if you believe that the, the, God, that the God that truly is, the true, one true God is the God of the Bible, then you have some more similarities with Nicodemus. Now, he just had the Old Testament at that time. Everything from Moses to the last prophet, they, they had that. 
but he may be different from us in some ways as well. He was somebody who believed that experiencing life as God intended it would come through following the Mosaic Law. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't make any effort to follow the Mosaic Law. Um, I, I know a little bit of it, and I understand a little bit of it, and, and I can see, from my perspective, I see how the Mosaic Law wasn't about what to do so much as how to learn to who God was, or, or is. Um, but my guess is no one, has anybody in here follow the Mosaic Law? You've got the 613 commandments that go along with it, and you try and keep them. Probably nobody in here does that. So Nicodemus is a little bit different from us as well. Now, maybe you're similar to him in that you think you can find life by keeping the right set of rules. Maybe, maybe you can identify with him like that. Um, and we tend to lean in one of two directions. We tend to lean towards we can experience life through, through following the right set of rules and keeping living a certain way. Um, or we tend to fall in another camp, which is uh, basically saying, I'm going to experience things and I'll determine for myself what life is. And more and more, that's the predominant worldview in the United States. It's not so much I'm going to keep the right rules, but it's I'm going to find life through my experiences. So maybe you're a little bit like Nicodemus, maybe you're a little bit different from him. But it's, it's interesting to look at who this man is and then how he approaches Jesus. So we're going to cover verses 1 through 21 in... Uh, in John chapter 3, and I'm going to break it into, into smaller chunks. So the first three verses says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we see here Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. And what he's doing here is, is he, he makes a statement about Jesus' identity. He says, I think this is who you are. Rabbi, we know you have come from God as a teacher. That's, uh, I believe this is who you are. And some of my contemporaries, this is who we believe you are. For no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. And to this point, John's only recorded one miracle. Jesus turning water into wine at the, at the wedding. That's the one miracle that's taken place that, 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 that John has recorded to this point. He also says at the end of his gospel that Jesus did many, many wonders and signs that are not recorded in this book. So Nicodemus may have heard of other things that Jesus had done as well. But he, he, he's seen Jesus from the outside a little bit. He's heard stories and he's watched him, maybe heard him speak, maybe heard him teach. And he's making an assumptive statement about him. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're a teacher from God because no one, can do the sign, no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And what he's really saying is, is this who you are? I'm trying to understand your identity. And it says that he went to him at night. Uh, basically, Nicodemus doesn't want everybody to know that he's having this meeting with, with Jesus. Now, when the Pharisees went and they approached um, when they approached uh, John the Baptist in the, in the wilderness, they went straight to him and they asked him very direct questions. We want to know your identity. And they were trying to figure out who he was. This is a little bit more indirect what Nicodemus is doing. But he's trying to figure out who is Jesus. That's a great thing to do. <laughs> if you haven't taken the time to do that, please do this morning. Who is Jesus? And then Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this seems like a weird answer to me. Uh, Nicodemus basically says, I'm pretty sure this is who you are. Am I right? You're a teacher from God, correct? And Jesus answers very indirectly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Kind of a, kind of a weird way to answer a question. It would be like if I held up two shirts and I said, Sam, do you like the blue shirt or the red shirt? 
And you said, well, have I ever told you about how if the lighting isn't right, you can't really tell what color something is? You know, no, just answer the question, which one do you like? But Jesus, what he's doing here is Nicodemus is trying to uncover who Jesus is. And Jesus is going to do, he's going to do the, he's going to help Nicodemus uncover who he is. He's going to show, instead of directly answering, this is who I am, he's going he's to dig deep into Nicodemus's soul. And he's going to draw out of him who he is. Now there's two important phrases in, in what Jesus says. Unless one is born again, this is literally reborn from above. Unless someone is reborn from above, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And so within this, there's an immediate statement of, you cannot remake yourself. It's not your work, it's not your effort to follow the Mosaic law that's going to bring about regeneration. It's not something that you or I can do to earn. It's not something that you or I can do to experience, but it's something that has to take place to us. It's a gift that God gives through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. We're reborn from above. It's not our work to do, but it's God's work to do to us. And then he says, uh, unless you're reborn from above, he cannot see, you and I will not see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was uh, also another term that was basically had a, had a a meaning, a similar meaning, and that was that it was, it was equated with eternal life. So unless we're reborn from above, we can't see the kingdom of God. Unless God does a work to us, we, we're, we cannot be a part of life as He has intended it. We cannot be a part of His kingdom unless He does a work to us. Now, Nicodemus, he probably held a similar view to Jews of his time. They thought that eternal life was found through adherence to the Mosaic law, which is why in John 5.39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. What's he saying? He's saying, You think that if you know the right things, you can experience eternal life. You can experience life as God intended it. If you could just learn the right rules and keep them, if you could just have the right head knowledge, if you could just figure out the right things, you think you can have eternal life. But he says, it's these that tell about me. And, and in that statement is, is, that, is that we're not going to experience life as God intended it unless we know Jesus Christ. The point of the scriptures was not to teach people how they could be sufficient in themselves. The point of the scriptures was to, was to show people their need of a Savior, their need of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus shows up and he fulfills that. He shows us what it is to truly live the right way. He shows us that through a relationship with him, that's how we will experience eternal life. It's a big statement. You think life is about knowing the right thing to do, but basically what Jesus is saying, life is about knowing me, not the right thing. It's about knowing a person, not stuff. It's about a relationship, not a bunch of observances. And so the Old Testament, was, the point of it was to show people who God was, how their relationship with Him was broken, and how He would restore that relationship. And then Jesus shows up and fulfills what the Old Testament was pointing to. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew 5.17, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, a way of the Jewish people referring to the Old Testament, but I came to fulfill it. I didn't come so to, to do away with what the truth of the Old Testament was. I came to fulfill it. 
I came to show you that, that, that everything that you've been taught for several millennia through God's interactions with the nation of Israel wasn't about the right way to observe things. It was about me. That's a huge statement that Jesus is making. But he came to fulfill what the Old Testament was pointing to, a Messiah who would redeem his people, who would draw them back into relationship with him, and, then, and that through rebirth and regeneration, the life that he gives, they would live in a way that God intended. They would experience, you and I could experience eternal life right here, right now, and forevermore. So how do, we, how do we come to a place where we can experience that? How do you get, how do you get from, uh, I'm not experiencing life as God intended it, to I am experiencing life as God intended it? And the, and the heading for these group of verses that I have here is that life is rare and not the normal human experience. It's not the normal human experience, life as God intended it. Most of us don't, don't experience what God has for us, but what it requires is repentance and regeneration. Uh, Mark 8.35, Jesus says, Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. So what's he saying here? Is he saying that in order to experience eternal life, we have to die in service to him? That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that we have to die to ourselves. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever wishes to think that they could experience eternal life through, through living out the right set of rules, or whoever thinks that they can experience eternal life through finding the right experiences and getting in the right, determining for yourself what truth is, what life is, he says you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. You have to come to an end of yourself and realize that I, in a legal way, cannot experience eternal life. And I, by rejecting a legal way and seeking to just experience everything that I can, will not experience eternal life. It's neither of those opposite ends of the spectrum. It's not do all the right things or do whatever you want. But instead, there's this middle ground where Jesus Christ calls us, where we come to an end of ourselves and we place faith in him. We believe that his death on the cross dealt with our sin and our rebellion against God. We believe that his resurrection from the dead was real and literal. And through that, he gives us life and indwells us. So we have to turn away from a way of thinking, either a legal way of thinking or a experience, whatever I need to experience way of thinking. We have to repent from that kind of thinking, make a change of mind and say instead of a legal way and instead of I will experience everything, I am going to seek relationship with Jesus Christ and through that he promises that I will experience life as God intended it. Matthew 7, 14, Jesus says, The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who will find it. It's not because it's not revealed. It's not because we, he hasn't revealed the way, and it's not because he hasn't shown us the gate. He says, I am the gate. I am the door. He's, he's, he's revealed himself to us very clearly. It's not because he, has, he hasn't revealed himself that people don't find this way. It's because they choose to do it their way. We choose to go it alone instead of looking at this loving Savior, this loving Lord, and saying, I will follow him. Verses 4 through 8, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? 
How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Can he? Now, Nicodemus is actually not dense enough to think that Jesus is actually saying you have to be born again through your mother's womb. He's, he's not that thick. But what he is saying is, what are you talking about? What, is you, what, 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 what are you talking about? I don't understand this rebirth from above. What are you talking about? And Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water, uh, uh, this cleansing that takes place through Jesus, it could, ref- it could refer to baptism or it could just refer to the cleansing that God does to us. And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. God has to cleanse us and he has to indwell us through his Spirit before we will experience the kingdom of God, life as God intended it, eternal life. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. That which we try to do and conjure up uh, is is fleshly, and it will only result in fleshly, shortcoming, uh, temporal change. That which is born of spirit is spirit. That which the spirit births in us, that he regenerates through us, that is more than temporal, it is eternal, and it bears changes that will last forever and ever. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 8 there, the wind blows wherever it wishes, and we hear the sound of it. Now, we could, what Jesus is saying is, is we don't know exactly how the wind moves and where it came from. We just feel it. Um, and so it is with the Spirit. We don't know exactly where he's moving today, and I don't know how he's going to move in you today, but we know that he moves because we experience his change. Now, in Nevada, I could tell you where the wind comes from. About every day at 1 o'clock, the hot air rises and the cool air comes down off the mountain and the wind blows. It's just what happens. That's why you don't use your sprinklers in the afternoon because you just water the driveway, right? Um, But... The wind blows, and, 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 and Jesus' point is that I can't tell you exactly how the Spirit's going to move. You and I can't, I can't tell you. I can't say, hey, look, here's the Holy Spirit. He's sitting right here in the front row. You can come meet him afterwards. It doesn't work like that. But I can tell you of how he's worked in my life, and you probably can too if you followed Jesus long enough. You can say, no, I've experienced the, the Spirit moving in my life. I remember the moment that he moved for the first time, and I understood the gospel for the first time, and he enlightened my mind to see who Jesus Christ truly is. I pray he does for you this morning. Um, and, and, I, and I remember that moment. And I remember moments throughout life. I can tell you about earlier this morning when he said, hey, I need you to move in this direction, or I need you to care for your wife in this way but the spirit of God will move within us and the heading I have here is that Jesus is the possessor and giver of life new new life true life is only brought about by Jesus through the Holy Spirit regeneration is an act that only God can perform on the on the person we might be able to remake ourselves but it's only an external makeover. It requires the action of God for rebirth, internal, spiritual, lasting rebirth to take place. Try as we may to improve our, prove ourselves, only God can bring about wholeness. Jesus is the possessor and giver of life. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, right before he raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
It's a great question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? That he'll give you life right here, right now. You can start experiencing life as God intended it in this life, on this earth. And he will raise us from the dead. Uh, Though we may die, he will raise us again. And there is an eternal kingdom yet to come in which we will experience the fullness of what God has for us. Do you believe that? Is that who Jesus is, the giver and possessor of life? Verses 9 through 16, we see that life is built on trust in God. Nicodemus said to, said to him, how can these things be? <laughs> I thought eternal life was about following the Mosaic law. I thought eternal life was about the right sacrifices. I thought eternal life was about the temple and the presence of God there and the priesthood and forgiveness and atonement that took place and, and, and the, the blood of animals covering our sin. I thought, I thought that was eternal life. You might say, I thought uh, eternal life was about living a Christian life where I, where I checked all the boxes and I did all the do's and I, and I didn't do all the don'ts and I, and, I, and, I, and I followed the rules. I thought that was eternal life, this religious practice. Maybe you're somebody who says, I thought eternal life was having the right, the right amount of money and, and acquiring the right things and climbing the corporate ladder. And I thought eternal life was about a relationship with, with another person, that, that if I found the right person and if we, if, we, if we had the right relationship, then I could experience eternal life. I thought it was about possessions. I thought it was about experiences. I thought I could have eternal life if I experienced and did the right things. How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? You know the scripture forwards and backwards and yet you missed it. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. The, the plural here is likely a reference to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. What God has revealed from millennia to the nation of Israel. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, I have a testimony that's true because I, 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 I know heaven and I, and I know earth. Nobody else knows this. The Son of Man is a messianic title. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. So he begins to answer Nicodemus' question about identity. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the eternal God, the one who's been in heaven, the one who's descended to earth. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so... Must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life? So he references a story that, that Nicodemus would have known well. Numbers chapter 21, um, the, the Israelites are, are in the desert and uh, they're not quite happy with God. And they, they, the manna's not enough and we're sick of eating quail. Um, and, and we'd like things to be a little bit different. And so they, they, they begin to worship another God. And God sends in fiery serpents. They call them fiery serpents likely because their bite would have been accompanied with a burning sensation. 
And people, some of the Israelites are actually dying from this. And they, they repent and they go, oh my gosh, God sent these and, and we've been worshiping a false god. And this is certainly him trying to wake us up. And Moses prays for the people and God says, make a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole. And anyone who looks at the serpent on the pole will be healed. If you've ever seen the medical sign, you go to a hospital or a clinic, there's a snake wrapped around a pole. That's, that's what this is a reference to, the healing that, comes, that came through this. And, and, and so what happens is Moses does this. He makes a bronze serpent, he put it on the pole, and everybody that looks at the pole, um, they're healed. And Jesus says, just as that serpent was lifted up and put on a pole, I'm going to do that too. So he says, not only am I the Son of Man, the Messiah, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. This is who I am, the Messiah, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be crucified and die for my people. I'm going to make the substitutionary sacrifice that is required in order for you to be saved and cleansed and reborn and experience regeneration. That's, that's a major part of the gospel, is that we are deserving of death and separation from God because of our rebellious attitude towards Him and because of our acts of harm that we've done to other people, sin. We're deserving of the death that Jesus took on the cross. But in God's mercy, He withholds the punishment that we deserve and He pours it out on His Son, Jesus. This is the story of the gospel that Jesus substituted himself for us, that he bore the cross that we deserve, that he took the death, the rebel's death, that we deserve, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then the verse that, that everyone knows, and we should know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. He looked down at this world, and, and you have to understand this about God. He looks down, and what does he see? He receives a rebellious creation, uh, a group of people that he created in order to be in harmony with him, in harmony with each other. And what's he, what's he find? He finds rebellion against him and disharmony, uh, discord among people. He looks down and that's what he sees. And he doesn't, and what he does he say? He says, I love this world so much that I'm going to rectify this situation. I'm going to give my only one-of-a-kind begotten son, Jesus, uh, that whoever believes in him, I'm going to give him, I'm going to sacrifice him. He's going to go to that cross willingly so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this is where the rebirth and the regeneration from above takes place, that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have eternal life. Now, John 3.16, everybody knows. 17 and 18 don't get read that often. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. All right, so he's answering this identity question. I'm here, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah that you think of. I'm not the Messiah that's going to overthrow Rome. I'm not the Messiah that's going to reinstitute the kingdom, the nation of Israel. I'm not, I'm not doing that right now. Uh, right now, what I'm here to do, I'm not here to judge the world. I'm here to save the world. I'm here to go to that cross. I'm here to be up on the pole like the bronze serpent so that those who believe can be saved. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The heading I have here is life finds joy in Jesus. And you might be thinking, how did you get that out of that? Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. Do you understand how joyous that is? You, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ's death on the cross and, and that it dealt with sin and that he raised from the dead and through that you have new life, you believe the gospel, you will never taste the wrath of God. That's something to be happy about. Amen, right? Jesus dealt with it. I'm not going to taste the wrath of God. I have this loving Savior who substituted himself for me. I have this Lord who calls me into relationship with him and has the very best for me and everyone that I'll interact with in mind. I find great joy in that. I don't look at Jesus and think, oh boy, i got to follow this guy. I look at Jesus and say, I get to follow Jesus. I get to be... In his presence, I get to receive his guidance. I get to receive his life. I get to receive his love. And, I, and, through, and that, there's great joy in that. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This joy that Christians have in following Jesus, this is a key distinction between those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. Those who truly know Jesus find joy in following Him and His ways. Those who don't know Jesus find fault with Him and in His ways, and in doing so, they bring judgment not on Jesus, but on themselves. Now, our culture doesn't care much for that word judge. Uh, we hear things like, who are you to judge me? You'll even hear people say, didn't Jesus say we weren't supposed to judge each other? And to a degree, that's a true statement. No one here can say who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. I don't have the ability to judge that, and neither does anybody in this room. But I do have the ability to recognize what's right and what's wrong. And so the narrative of our culture is that almost anything is permissible. And if that's true, if all options are open to me, then who are you to say I should believe this and I shouldn't believe that? Who are you to tell me I should do this or I shouldn't do that? See, people love John 3.16, love and sacrifice, and we should love that, but we don't pay attention to 3.18. We don't see 17 and freedom and life uh, belief, these verses that uh, condemnation for, for, for belief and, or condemnation for lack of belief and, and freedom and life for belief. Yet Jesus says it black and white. Another thing to draw out here is that God would much rather save than judge. We need to understand that. God would much rather save than judge. Ezekiel 18.32, God says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who, di who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. He's not looking down going, I can't wait to judge that guy. He's saying, please repent and believe so I don't have to do that. Please look upon my Lord, your, my, my son, your Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. Look upon him and believe so that judgment is not something we have to deal with. I don't want to. It's a key aspect of God's love for he so loved the world that he gave his son that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He finds no pleasure in judging us but instead longs to bring us back into relationship with him. But what, we, what Jesus says here goes against the grain of what our, what our society believes in a major way. 
For that reason, many people are uncomfortable and uncertain with Jesus. But have you stopped? If, you, if that's you, you look at Jesus and you see this truth claim and you go, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable. If that's you, have you ever stopped to wonder why you feel that way? Do you really have an issue with right and wrong? Or are you, really, or are you just giving into the thought patterns of your culture that influence you more than you'd like to admit? Do you really have a problem with right and wrong? Or are the thought patterns of your culture influencing you more than you'd like to admit? And I would contend that that's most people that have a problem with Jesus. They don't actually have a problem with the truth claim. They don't actually have a problem with right and wrong. But the, the culture around them influences their mind far more than they'd like to admit. We like to think of ourselves as independent, free-thinking agents, and we come up with what we believe, but the fact of the matter is our culture influences us way more than we'd like to admit. But I'll tell you what, from where I sit, the people that I've known that experience the most joy are those who know, trust, and follow Jesus. The people who love and serve their neighbors, seeking nothing in return, are those who trust and follow Jesus. Those who experience peace through the most difficult times are those who trust and follow Jesus. Those who live their last days while dying of cancer with confidence are those who trust and follow Jesus. By the way, if you don't know Lori Pyle, or if you do know Lori Pyle, um, uh, Dave and Lori, uh, they've been doing some trips and things, and uh, they were told that they probably had several months before Lori was going to go, and then it was weeks, and uh, most recently it, it, they're told that there's just days left. And Lori's in a lot of pain, and, and we should be in prayer for um, what she's going through. But at the same time, what, what, what I've heard about Lori is confidence and peace in what, where she's going to go. Uh, she doesn't see the afterlife as, as some worrisome thing. And that's not because she's delusional. You know, right? the Christians don't believe in the afterlife because we're delusional. We believe that Jesus Christ has secured our eternity because we've tried and tasted what he's done here. Right? Tis so, so sweet to trust in Jesus, how I've proved him over and over. Really, more what it is is he's proved himself to me over and over again to the place where I have little or no doubt to what he is going to bring about on the other side. See, those who have followed Jesus long enough, they've lived and they've loved, they've hurt and they've lost. They've been tested and tried and found Jesus' words in these verses to be experientially true. You can live in the experiential cloud of confusion that typifies our culture. And that's what typifies our culture. Right now, it is an experiential cloud of confusion. You do what you want, I'll do what I want, we'll, you figure it out for yourself, I'll figure it out for me, and there's a thousand different, what, million different ways to live, but there's no foundation. And if you know somebody living that life, right, if you know somebody living in that cloud of confusion, you don't see joy, you don't see harmony, you don't see peace, you see confusion, you see hurt, you see loss, you see broken marriages, you see broken parent-child relationships, you see inability to hold down jobs, you see so much hurt. But when if somebody truly follows Jesus, and, 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 and so the, here's the, the alternative. You can live in the experiential cloud of confusion that typifies our culture, or Jesus has a very firm foundation and promise to walk with you through life. Our final set of verses, life involves loving others and loving God, not self-centered individualistic pleasures. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices truth, 
truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is the judgment that comes. Uh, the, the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Biblical understanding of evil is that there's been a rejection of God and because of that rejection of God, we do harm to others. Um, either, in our, either in our thoughts, our speech, or our actions. Like, I've never murdered anybody, but Jesus said that if I've hated somebody, then I'm guilty of murder. So our thought life matters. I've never committed adultery, but Jesus says that if you go there in your mind, you're guilty of it. So our thought life matters. Uh, Evil thoughts, evil words, we tear people down with our words, we slander them, we mock them, we tear them apart with our words, we hurt them with our words, or evil deeds where we hurt someone. That's, that's God's definition of evil. There's been a rejection of him. Because of that rejection of him, there's outward harm towards others. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I have a friend, a um, guy that I work with. I, I invited him to come to church, and he said, I don't know, man. I'm afraid the moment I walk through the door, I'll burst into flames. And what he was really saying was, my lifestyle doesn't mesh. I don't want to go there. I don't, want to, I don't want to step into the light because I don't want there to be a revealing of my lifestyle. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested and have been wrought in God. To practice the truth is to step into the light of what Jesus has for us, the truth of who he is and what he's done. And, and as we come to him and as we're reborn from above and this regeneration takes place and the spirit of God lives within us, what we find is that what we think, say, and do is manifested. It's brought about by God. He moves through us and we live in a different way. So look at what following Jesus, being born again in regeneration brings about. When you truly follow Jesus, you find the destruction you used to do to others is replaced with loving and building others up. Self-centeredness dissipates as you learn to walk as the reborn child of God that he's made you. Your marriage becomes more than it ever could have been without Jesus because you freely seek to bless your spouse without expectation of getting something in return. You learn to direct your children to Jesus as Lord and God as their Father. You seek not merely external behavior from them, but internal transformation as you show them how to follow Jesus. You care for others. You spend your money and your time differently. You don't begrudgingly give to others, but instead you find joy in giving what's been entrusted to you to others in need. You stop looking at others that are not the same as you as odd. You stop looking at others that are not the same as you as odd, but with Jesus' eyes you see their hurt, their value, and their potential. You stop assuming things about people and start understanding things about people. You end up loving and caring about others. Tell me you don't want that. Everyone does. Deep down, everybody wants what God has to offer. The gospel, it promises, uh, and because God has put that longing within us, and he wants to fulfill those longings, the right longings of our heart, God wants to fulfill those through our relationship with him as he walks with us and moves through us. The gospel promises forgiveness, mercy, grace, right standing with, with God, 
closeness with God, the experience of life as God intended it, wholeness and confidence in your identity, a change of heart and mind, the best of interactions with our fellow man, peace, joy, a secure eternity, and on and on. Jesus promises all of that, and I don't know about you, but I've tasted the truth of those promises, and there's nothing better. The relationship that God offers through Jesus Christ is life as God intended it. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ, the one whom he sent, and is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ. That's what life really is. It's a relationship with God. And through that relationship with God, we may experience wonderful things. The experiential side of things, there is a wonderful experience of Christianity. The legal side of things, it's, it's, it's completed as Christ moves through us. We don't have to seek to do the legal things, but at, in, in relationship with him, he'll lead us to do them anyway. And so you'll find yourself living the right way. The do's and don'ts do get checked off, but not because you tried, but because you followed Jesus. And the experiential side of things, you get to do amazing things as the eternal God moves through you. This is the gospel. This is life that Jesus Christ offers. Pray that we would know that we would know it, that we would experience it, and that we wouldn't be shy about sharing it with others. If you've tasted the truth of these promises, share them. Share them. Share him and your relationship with, with him with others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the goodness of what you have done through your son Jesus Christ. You love the world so much, even in its rebellious and sinful state. You love the world so much that you sent your only Son, that whoever believes in him would not, uh, would not die, would not perish, but would have eternal life, life as you intended it. And that life isn't something that we wait for. It's not something that we experience after death, but it's something that we have here and now uh, through our relationship with you. Pray that we would know that relationship, we would experience the goodness of who you are, and that we would not be shy about sharing what you do in our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.